Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Each week, we explore questions of faith, community, and identity. This is Malba Matthew and Dur Lore, your hosts for this season. In this season, we are going to dive into the difficult and complex task of being a part of a community or multiple communities. Hey, welcome to this episode of Centering. We are your hosts for this season, Dur and Melba. And today we're going to be talking about uh, one of my own favorite topics when it comes to faith, topic of ancestral religion and Christian faith, and with uh, Fuller's very own Dr. Daniel D. Lee. Hi, Daniel. So I'll just give a quick introduction for those of you who may not already have heard him on podcast before. Dr. Lee is the assistant provost for Fuller's Center of Asian American Theology and Ministry. And his research areas focus on the reform tradition and contextual theologies. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Very good, excited to be here. Uh, just real quick, what what have you been working on lately? What's keeping you busy or maybe even up at night these days? I'm actually doing my research focusing on issues about multi-religious ecclesiology. As you know, uh, talking about multicultural churches have become kind of norm, like almost a standard. But I think what people don't realize is that multiracial churches have all kinds of problems. General things, what I like to say is that MLK did not, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. did not march for us to have multiracial churches. Mm. That actually doesn't solve the problem of racism. And often what some of the researchers have found is that multiracial churches often aggravate the problem of racism, not actually alleviate it. Mm. And so... Uh, I think that'll be uh, be something important for uh, our audience, especially I think often Asian American churches get critiqued and saying, well, we're not multiracial. So why are we kind of clung by ourselves? Uh, there are issues of why we need Asian American churches and why multiracial churches create their own set of problems. So I'm working on that these days. That's fascinating. And I think that's going to be a great challenge for a local church. Well, diving into uh, kind of today's topic, this topic of ancestral religion and Christian faith, I think this this topic itself presumes some kind of historical and religious background knowledge on Christian faith already, particularly as it developed in the West, right, in other parts of the world. So to kind of get us started today, um, Daniel, what, what would you say, what would you like to highlight about what do we need to already know as we talk about this topic of ancestral religion and Christian faith? I think the first thing is that our understanding of Christianity, uh, I think often people like to think that like the Bible dropped from the sky and then we have our faith and we say, well, we want our faith to be biblical. (laughs) But in reality, uh, our faith is always engaged uh, with um, the religious traditions of our, of whatever contemporary times there are, right? So even during the early church, Justin Martyr trying to make some sense of like, how does it interact with like uh, the Roman gods? I mean, people are just trying to make some sense, right? And the, because we don't have a clean slate when we come to scripture, when we think about spiritual realities or deity, we're, we're still thinking about it from the previous sense of whatever we had before, right? So and then that, they, they interact together. It's not like it's actually like it's coming from this biblical knowledge that's that trumps everything else that we have previously. So that interaction, I think, is really important to understand the fact that we're always engaging how faith comes alive mm-hmm. in our particular context, whether it be it's first century, second century, you know, 15th century or whatever, right? So that's, that's probably the most important thing to kind of understand. It, it sounds like it's almost uh, inescapable that every kind of 
um, background or every kind of people group or sociocultural context has to kind of wrestle with it. And you almost can't understand the gospel or, or receive the gospel for all that it says to you unless you wrestle with it in those terms. Yeah, in one sense, we can think about it as a human limitation, the fact that we're stuck in our history time context, so we can't really escape those things. Mm -hmm. But another way of thinking about it, and this is the way that I've thought about it, is that this is who God is. Like God's a living God. God actually interacts with us and talks to us, talks to us in our particular situation and context. Like God's not like, God didn't do us a Bible and, and he went away on vacation. Like God, God didn't go on vacation or God's not dead. Like God's like living God. God uses scripture to interact with us and talk to us, but it's that it's actually happening in real time. And that's really important to understand. And when you have that as a, as a basic understanding, then you will have a different way of thinking about faith altogether. When we think of our human, the, the things that we bring in with our humanity as not necessarily as limitations, is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, it's not only limitations. I mean, you know, God's not interacting with robots, you know, right? So it's the fact that all, you know, uh, our faith is to be lived out in a particular context. And this is something that I kind of point to regularly, where, you know, looking at the Bible and the fact that God says, God says different things to Moses, as opposed to Esther, as opposed to David, as opposed to uh, Mary. It's not like a cookie cutter thing. Like I don't repeat the same thing. Oh, you know, uh, have your identity in me and worship me. It, it, that's actually not what happens in the Bible. So Paul's a different particular calling, uh, you know, and we do, of course, I mean, you know, people in church history have different callings. So uh, they're living out their faith in a particular time and space in a particular social, political context, cultural context. And it's really important to keep that in mind that this is just who God is. And this is not just about our limitations as humanity. This is, just, this is just about having, you know, having a God that's alive and active. Yeah, amen. Yeah. It also, it really helps me to think of, you know, those particularities as helping us. It helps illuminate who God is, right? The complexity of who God is. If we were responding to God from a cookie cutter, if he, God responds to us as cookie cutter, then there's a temptation to see God as cookie cutter too. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, I think one analogy I've used is that just even very simply, like I have three daughters and they're very different. And actually you would think it would be fair to treat all three of them in the exact same way, but it's actually not. Right. Like people are just are different. And of course, even in history, if you if God's interacting with somebody who's actually totally oppressed in their, in their political oppression and, and economic oppression and, and talking, interacting with them, obviously that would be very different than in a different time period or different context altogether where people are in a very established or even, you know, kind of, a, you know, um, a place of being the oppressor. Mm -hmm. right? you, you would have to think that God actually says different things. It just makes no sense to be like, God says the exact same thing to every single right. person. I mean, unless God's dead once again, unless God's an abstract idea that right. we play with. If God's a living God, God actually has authority and power and to say specific things to specific, uh, at specific times. And that's really, really important to understand. Wow, that's powerful. So we've talked about who God is. Um, I want to move us into kind of who is the Asian American community. So when we talk about uh, Asian or Asian American ancestral religion, some of us come into that 
having no idea what that is for us. Some of us have some idea, and then others of us have been reading about it, studying it for a while. Dr. Lee, can you help us just kind of, how do we make sense of that, especially for our listeners who are like, I don't really know what I bring to the, when I read the scriptures, um, I don't, I can't put a name to my ancestral religion. How would you kind of help them understand that? I think the first thing to understand is that um, obviously we're, we're hybrid of multiple things. We're not here talking about the fact that, you know, some people, I think within Asian American studies or other places talk about the problem of essentialism, the fact that in the end, Melba, you know, you're really have this Hindu core. I mean, that's like now we're like, you know, Markham core, whatever, right? That's actually kind of a nonsense way of thinking about it because we're not static like that. Mm-hmm. We're actually dynamic people and actually we change over time. So we're talking about the fact that there are different aspects of who we are, but there is this aspect that often lingers that has to do with kind of Asian heritage, ancestral kind of heritage, whether it be religious or cultural, whatever. And we're saying that aspect has to be redeemed by the gospel as well, not just the enlightenment part and not just the Western part or American part, which isn't legitimately part of who we are, right? So we're not saying that's not part of who we are. We just have, we're, we want to acknowledge this particular part that we have is that, that Asian and Asian Americans bring that has to do with um, the religious heritages that really is totally diffused and that's mixed with our language, mm-hmm. that's mixed with our food, that's mixed in with our cultural norms, right? So mm-hmm. you really can't tease those things out in, in a very simple way. Uh, so that's, that's what we're talking about, like all those different things and that are often Asian Americans have no words for, which is very, very frustrating. Mm-hmm. To add to that, I think also the way we relate our relationships, how we define relationships, you know, to family members, like that all plays into how we read the Bible and understand God, understand our faith. Right. I mean, previous before before this podcast started, man, but we're talking about Indian matchmaking, right? And we're saying there's so much religious overtones, right? Whether whether they're Sikh, whether they're uh, you know uh, a Muslim, or whether they're Hindu, or whether they're Martha, there's just so much stuff going on, right? Or whether they're you know Pentecostal or whatever, right? So there's all the layers of that, and of course that impacts how people think about their marriage, the family dynamics, uh, and you can say, well, that's culture, but I mean. This is where I think a lot of Asian Americans kind of get into, get into a little hole because you know, a lot of Asian Americans don't know that much, particularly about their Asian heritage. So it just becomes, well, that's just being Indian. I'm like, dude, Indian's a subcontinent. <laughs> it's been around for a long time. What part, right? Or for me, like, oh, people are like, oh, that's just being Korean. I'm like, okay, Korea? has like 5,000 years of history. There's actually like Confucianism, Taoism, you know, shamanism, Buddhism. What part? Mm-hmm. right uh what are you talking about that's just like it's like saying that's american well i mean unless you think there's actually a kind of an essential core to what you mean by american it actually becomes really problematic especially when we're trying to tease stuff out like i generally a uh, general analogy that i give is that we're trying to basically tease stuff out and understand what's happening and it's almost like and, we're, and to some degree what we need to do is do surgery but we take a sledgehammer and say well that's mong shamanism bang i'm like well the whole thing is gone then. What are you going to do? Like, you're not going to be Hmong anymore? I, I don't understand what the option is. Right. And I think that's very often what ends up happening with, with Asian Americans. And uh, we don't think there's a, there's a different option. And of course there is, right? 
So going right off of the, the monk shamanism uh, example there, I have a want to share a, a really concrete example of kind of how there's like a cleavage between the monk shaman community and the monk Christian community when it comes to food sacrificed to spirits, right? And, uh, you know, what I've seen is um, my wife grew up in the church, in the monk Christian Missionary Alliance Church. And so she kind of grew up with this being taught in this mentality that like, that's just an absolute no man's territory. Don't ever associate with or do anything with food sacrificed to idols. But uh, for me, growing up in uh, Hmong shaman culture, that was not something that I feared, right? And um, so I tend to lean towards kind of like Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 8, where Paul teaches about if you eat and it makes a brother or sister stumble, then you should refrain. I just find that fascinating that that's kind of like a first century, 21st century parallel. Uh, do we see that kind of, uh, are there other concrete examples like that in other ethnic specific circles? You know, what's interesting is that when a lot of African theologians, you know, start, start studying, what they found was that they found the issues that they're struggling with to echo the issues of the first century. Mm-hmm. Right. So in this sense, you can see, because at its core, some of the more like traditional cultures, I mean, some of the issues that we're talking about really echoes like what's happening in the first century. What I would say about the first Corinthians context is this, uh, <laughs> people, people forget this, the ones who have more freedom are the ones who are mature. Like the more mature ones are the ones who have more freedom, right? So people don't think about that. Mm-hmm. Another thing I say is that you, don't, you want to be careful not to use Paul to critique Jesus. Because like, well, you're going to stumble everybody. I'm like, well, look, I mean, according to Paul, if you read Paul that way, there's no way Jesus can be who he is. That doesn't make any sense. I think we have to really think about what that looks like. We can't say, well, that's going to stumble everybody and not lead people to a maturity. Like, how do you do that? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so even though there's there will be diversity of these different things, I think, well, mm-hmm. yeah, diversity, different opinions. I think it's important to kind of... Uh, understand the fact that first of all people are at different places and also that we're moving toward a kind of maturity mm-hmm. i kind of lost you a little bit daniel when you mentioned the critique of jesus can you clarify where that's coming into play here yeah I, if i say well look you know as a, as a christian you can't do certain things because you're some other people you know that, that could be used for literally anything like you could oh that that are some other people and what i say is that i mean According to what you at that way of thinking about stumbling other people, there's no way Jesus can be Jesus, mm. right? And actually, that's literally the critiques that people had about Jesus. Like, oh, you're spending too much time with non-Christians. You're actually like, you know, non-believers or, or these sinners, right? Mm. And I think that sometimes that's just a way for that, that way of thinking. Like, oh, you're going to stumble other people. That's just a way for us to be stuck in our, our little kind of, you know, secluded ghettos and not having inter- any interaction with the world. That's actually kind of a way of justifying our uh, our separation from the world, which I don't think that's basically how the gospel talks about being a witness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a distortion of Paul that Paul, Jesus wouldn't even make sense of. Like, you know, you can't, mm-hmm. if you use Paul that way, like Jesus would, can't be Jesus. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's also, as a therapist, it's making me think of like, is that perpetuating like codependency in relations like oh if if they're not okay then I can't be okay so we limit ourselves um our freedoms because 
so much concern about other people stumbling. Yeah, and as you know, our, you know, our heritage of, I say heritage because it's not everybody's like this, but our heritage of collectivism, mm-hmm. I mean, that does play a role, right? And it's where, it, obviously the positive aspects of it, but on the negative side, it can just end up being kind of total fusion. Like you, you can't do anything because you're thinking about your parents, you're thinking about your community mm-hmm. and that can be really suffocating. Yeah, not to say we shouldn't be concerned for each other, but yeah, we can see how that could be taken too far. Right, absolutely. So at this point, I'm kind of wondering, um, Malba, if there are any examples that you can think of in like, like an Indian or Marthama context, where you kind of seen some of these ancestral traditions kind of interact with Christian faith? Yeah, well, I mean, I've seen a lot of attempts to incorporate like certain festivals. One that comes to mind is Onam, which in Kerala is like the celebration of the harvest and being generous with food. And there are folklore associated with that that are connected to Hindu gods. And there's, you know, characters too that people dress up in costumes to kind of reenact, you know, those folklore. And when that comes into the picture, then all of a sudden there's a bunch of Indian Christians who, you know, I'll cry like, oh no, this is like too Hindu. This shouldn't be in the church. If you want it at home, but not at church. Mm. Um, And it's caused some strife because it's like, well, this makes, it makes us feel connected to our heritage, to Kerala, to the season, you know, and if we can't celebrate it at church, then there's that disconnection in community, right? That's, that is an opportunity for us to gather as a community and that gets taken away if there's so much concern about, well, if we do this, that means we are worshiping these gods or giving credence to, you know, these, these myths. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, Daniel, if you could speak into that on kind of where, where does one draw the line between like reappropriating a tradition for like the community of faith uh, versus what people, some people might be overreactive to of, of like, no, now we're worshiping these other gods. Like, where's that line? And even how does how how that played out within Western traditions? Because we know that Western faith has borrowed from pagan traditions and reappropriated it too. So if, could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's let's start thinking about just generally how we think about these these, uh, <laughs> these traditions that we have in, in, in the U.S. and the West, right? Mm-hmm. I think only people know that um, the Christmas tree and Christmas decoration wasn't a thing until German immigrants brought it over. Mm. Actually, people didn't think that was actually the right thing to do. Mm. Germans brought it over and people are like, what is this? Mm. <laughs> and people thought, oh, yeah, you should maybe just decorating the, the Christmas thing. I mean, the, the whole Yule log thing. I mean, this is like having a tree. There's all this like pagan interactions, right? Whether it be the Easter bunny, whether it be eggs or whether it be, and people say, well, you know, it's not a direct connection. I mean, we know it's not a direct connection, right? But it's the fact that it's there and people are interacting with it all the time. People love C.S. Lewis's Chronicles Narnia, which is totally pagan, by the way, mm-hmm. right? It's total pagan interaction with the Christian imagination. Mm-hmm. I don't mean it's bad. I'm just saying that's basically what, what C.S. Lewis is trying to do. Like, how do we make sense of these things that are part of our, you know, uh, uh, imagination? And how, what does it mean to think about uh, this from a Christian perspective? Uh, whether it be like, or Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, it's total pagan, ring of power. I mean, all the 
dwarves and elves. This all is all pagan stuff. Yeah. yeah. But the whole thing, I think the idea is, what does it mean to think about these things in light of the gospel and to reimagine them, mm-hmm. right? Because otherwise, what are you going to do with them? You're going to get rid of them? Well, first of all, there's no way to get rid of them. It's just literally part of who you are and there's no neutral, right? Mm-hmm. So when I think Indian Americans are like, well, I don't want to do this thing. I'm like, well, what's the other option? Then you're actually just becoming more white. You're becoming more American. You're losing things, right? So it's not like, because there's no neutral here. Not you doing these things is not, it's not a neutral, right? Especially in the US. So that, I think that's one of the things you want to kind of think about. That we're going to just do this no matter what. And the goal is to do it explicitly very consciously knowing what these things are instead of actually allowing these to kind of what i what i say come to the back door where we're we're not really thinking about it and in the end it ends up being looking like more of uh you know hindu thing or pagan uh, you know uh buddhist thing or whatever because we're not really explicitly thinking through it right Uh, that's probably the key right there explicitly thinking through what we're doing and what does it really mean like c.s lewis or okay once again tolkien they're actually thinking about these things and making sense of it that's so good you know my my wife and i were always talking about again because i come from a shaman context came to faith in my uh, adult life but i'm always talking about uh this topic of like reappropriating old tradition for like use of worship or, or or just part of the christian faith and we always bring up the point of like there's when there's proximity to the uh, practice as it is, then it feels like it's off limits. But like as time passes, as you know, the next generation comes up, all of a sudden it feels like we forgot the old symbol behind it. And now we've given it a new definition. Where would you say kind of the Asian American church as a whole, if, if we could pinpoint where it is as a whole, like where are we at on that timeline? Well, actually, Leslie Newbigin, um, he talks about this thing. He talks about the fact that there are generational things. I and mean, when, you, when you've been totally oppressed and bound by a particular tradition, then that generation is very difficult for them to rethink these things. The second generation comes around and says, wait a minute, we've lost something here. Can we get something back? And then he says, the third generation says, wait a minute. Did we lose the gospel? <laughs> so he says there's this interaction back and forth continually happening. I think it's important for us to understand the fact that these are living traditions and we're going to interact with these things. And uh, it's also important to understand that different communities or different people might not be there. They might be like, well, no, I, that association is so strong where we can't really think about it. Whereas other people might be like, well, you know what? We actually have done something different theologically here and we think it gives us meaning, you know, mean, deep meaning. So it's, it's possible for them to redeem it. So it's, it, there is going to be diversity here. Mm-hmm. Do you distinguish between the word redeeming it versus reappropriating it? I mean, and I guess theologically, we're talking about, you know, reconciling it to Christ, you know, uh, to have God, in some sense, judge it for what it is, to, to transform it, to use it for a different purpose. Uh, I think well, we, we want to be respectful if it's like a different religious tradition. In fact, you know, that's basically, you know, we want to be respectful of other traditions, uh, other religious traditions, but at the same time to say, well, this aspect of it has become cultural because it's basically what a lot of times what ends up happening. Uh, and we've kind of re, you know, redefined it uh, for what we want it to be. Now, what I would say is this. Uh, I'll give an example from the Korean tradi- Korean-American tradition, the Korean tradition. There's a thing called Tebekyuda, which is early, early, you know, early morning prayer. It, it's, it acts, has an explicit Taoist roots. I mean, all the scholars know literally who started it. It's a Taoist master, right? So the question is, uh, you know, a lot of people have kind of adopted it as a Christian practice, which I think is perfectly fine. The question is, is it 
does it stay that way or has it reverted to becoming just Taoist in Christian garb? Then it becomes becomes a problem again as well, right? So you want to think about these things and kind of pay attention to it, making sure that I guess in some sense the practice itself or, or ends up being you know is sufficiently gospel, right, and not just something that's just thinly veiled Christian you know garb. Uh, then it's not going to be beneficial, and that actually would be very dangerous. Well, let's tie this into maybe how some local churches can what they can take away. What do you think uh, the churches that maybe are wrestling with this right now, what would be an appropriate understanding between the relationship between ancestral religious traditions and Christian faith? Uh, I think, I mean, one of the th things that I recommend people in general is just for people to, you know, especially leaders, for them to spend time learning about their ancestral traditions. So they have some language to describe what it is. When they see it in their lives, like, oh, that looks like something here. I mean, you can't even engage it with the gospel or even make sense of it if you have no idea, if your way, level of articulation is that thing that Indians do. I mean, that's just like, what can you do with that? Mm. So you have to actually have some language to get a, get a handle on what we're talking about, be able to name certain things. Mm -hmm. And then you can say, well, here, this is basically what it means. I didn't know when we take off our shoes, it actually has this, you know, shamanistic roots because it does. Mm. <laughs> even taking off the shoes for a lot, a lot of Asians when they leave it at the door, it actually has all these religious kind of uh, connotations. Mm. So say, well, look, um, this is what it is back then, but this is basically how we're thinking about it. And or sometimes we're just not thinking about it in that particular way. And that's perfectly fine for us to be more aware of what's happening. Um, as far as practices like festivals and things like that, like I would say to be very explicit about how your church wants to do it. This is basically what it kind of meant. And there are all these connections, but we have thought of it this way mm -hmm. as Christ bringing, you know, new life for celebrating the colors or whatever right so i think this is how we can kind of you know redefine it for what what the church wants to do and i think it's perfectly fine to do because nobody owns culture like this idea of authenticity is really really problematic like culture is always changing and being redefined and, and transformed in different ways and of course this is your heritage so you can do different things it won't be you know appropriation if you just kind of like you're not taking somebody else's and you're also respecting the fact that it might mean something for other religious traditions but this is what we you're doing with a new tradition. I think it, you make you want to once again respect the fact that if it's a different religious tradition, that's what it is. But here, this is how we're thinking about it. Well, we covered a lot of ground here, um, and maybe we could just end with Daniel. What comes to mind for you? Maybe like a personal anecdote experience that you could share with us about how you've integrated, reconciled um, ancestral religion with your faith. Yeah, I mean, I think growing up. I just thought of everything as this kind of general Koreanness, right? Because you're thinking about Koreanness and Americanness, which basically just means, which ends up just being dominant white culture. But uh, when I was in college, I took this class on Confucianism and Taoism, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, everything I do is Confucius and Taoist. And that's when I started thinking about it. I thought that purely negatively, like how do I clean myself of this uh, impurity that's corrupting the gospel? But I think over the years, what I realized is that it's it's like a it's like a sweater. If I pull on it all along, there's actually nothing there. Like I'll just end up seeking to be white. And I said, well, that's not a solution either. I mean, American white Christianity is so problematic. It's it's actually so complicit in so many different ways because it doesn't understand the context, right? 
it doesn't understand the ways in which context is kind of taken over. So for me, it's been a long journey. It just kind of makes some sense of Confucianism. I mean, all the Confucian concepts are embedded in the Korean language. So some, you know, I speak Korean with my mom. When I talk to her, I'm using Korean, Confucian concepts. It's literally impossible to escape. So it was really important for me to understand that and to make sense of it and to say, well, what does this really mean? That this is part of who I am, unless I unless I'm going to do violence to myself. And that's actually what we're talking about here. These are just part of who we are, and we want to bring God shalom to these aspects as well. And God doesn't say, well, let's let's get rid of dirt and start with a new person. I mean, we're new creation, but we become new, right? It's not like we start from like, we, you know, older disappears and dies altogether. I mean, of, of course, that analogy is there, but it's not like, like literally his body changes altogether. That's not what we're talking about. He, God creates something new out of the old, which is actually kind of an amazing thing. So in this sense, my confusion kind of uh, uh, heritage and everything else with all, you know, all toxic stuff that I had to learn to critique more specifically and also to kind of understanding and appreciating the positive aspect of it all as well has been really, really beneficial. And, you know, like uh, there's a book that uh, we use in our classes called Asian Religions, A Cultural Perspective uh, by Rand Nadal. I mean, that's when I found that book, I was like, this is great. And I generally use this book a lot of times uh, for my classes because it's, people are not thinking about like, you know, practicing Buddhism, although that Buddhist cultural influence is in us. So I think it's important to kind of distinguish that and say, well, there's something in me that I'm trying to make some sense of. And I want this to be transformed, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to make myself into a pure human person, which is, is not pure person. Yeah, which is not attainable. And that's actually not even not even what we desire. What would that even be for us to just be some, you know, uh, I guess whitewashed person, right? Is basically what the term would be, which <laughs> which is very problematic in of itself. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lee, for sharing, um, especially that last tidbit. And I'm encouraged by it. I hope our listeners are encouraged by that as well. Uh, so thanks again for being on our show. Thank you very much. This is Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please tune in each week as we discuss community and identity. And remember, God loves and embraces all of who you are.